This week, we sit down with Ulysses Feya of the six-piece, three-time Grammy award-winning band Ozo Motley. We're talking about his life, his way into music, his journey, his insights. It's nothing short of amazing. Enjoy. This whole fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) We're going. We're going. Thank you so much for driving all the way down to Long Beach to sit down with me and talk to me. Um, Long Beach isn't that far for me. How long did it take you? Like 20 minutes. Oh, I'm I'm actually, I didn't get to finish Cal State Long Beach, but I did go to Cal State Long Beach. So I know Long Beach has kind of some old stomping grounds. Yeah? Yeah. You actually went to high school around here. What high school did you go to? I went to the high school for the arts, which was on the campus of Cal State LA. Mm-hmm. And it was relatively a new school. Um, it was dedicated, obviously, to uh, visual art, acting, music, um, dance. And uh, what you would do is you'd do your academics from 8 in the morning to, I believe, 1230. And then you'd do lunch. And then the rest of the day you would spend on your art. And what was your art? Music then? at the time and still is. In particular, was that when you started clarinet? No, I actually started music in elementary school through the public school systems, you know, um, orchestras and things like that, where they would rent you an instrument, not rent you an instrument, but they'd let you borrow an instrument. So I started clarinet maybe, I think, in the fourth or fifth grade, something like that. And what was it about the clarinet that you... Um, I can make a sound on it. (laughs) Because <laughs> I started in clarinet, and that was the exact Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, well, I had started before this on classical piano, and um, my dad is a classical violinist, but he, I guess, you know, he was kind of a big fish in a small pond in his town, and then he went and moved to Paris, and, you know, it's obviously Paris Conservatory, all these things. It was pretty heavy, so he never completely pursued, like, professional musician mm-hmm. uh, once he immigrated to Canada and then to the States. But he had a, a perfect, what they call perfect pitch. So you play any note, bing, bong, bong, bong. And he's like, oh, that's that note. That's that note. B sharp, you know, you know, I mean, um, you know, B flat, uh, C, D, whatever. He would call it out. So imagine trying to practice around that guy. He could, like, figure out every wrong note you ever had. You know, like, <laughs> it would be a mess. And uh, so he was kind of the one who pushed me to start on classical piano because – in his words, it was like the best base and the best roots for just building on your musical education. And as much as I hated it and as much, well, I didn't hate it, but as much as I didn't want to do that, because of course, as every kid, you, I want to learn electric guitar, man. Right. As long as, as much as I couldn't stand it, he was completely right. It was like the best way to actually start my musical education. And I t- ended up taking classical piano lessons for like, 15 years after, you know, I mean, I can't play a lick of it now, but because you got to maintain it. But um, that's how I kind of started the musical education. And it built your foundation. And was that going to always be your path, given that your your father musical and music started so young for you? Was music always going to be your path? Um, honestly, if it was up to my dad, I think uh, he would have rathered me be a dentist. Because really? that was my grandfather's profession. And, in, you know, it was one of those things like, you know, that'd be awesome. You're, I never met my grandfather in Spain. But um, um, to my dad, that would have been like like one of those things. Like, he's pursuing my dad's, you know, like one of those things. Mm-hmm. But I caught on to music. And I didn't know whether or not 
I was going to really, I don't think any musician really, when you're first starting off, you know, you, you just wish, you hope that it works out that way. And with any art, it's always a gamble of whether or not it's going to work out for you, you know? And uh, at this point, it's almost, I feel like it's one of the only things I can do. Like, what else am I going to do with my life if I'm not playing music or creating music? So um, I think there gets to a point where you're just like, I got to do this. I'm going to do this. What else do I know? I have to do this. Is what, you know, so, it's like so where sink were or swim. You in your life that sink you were swim. like, this is, I have to I do think this. It, around college when I was just like, this is sink or swim. And it's like, I got to invest everything. I Even before that, even like in high school, obviously, because I went to an arts high school. Right. But once I got out of high school, you know, it's kind of like that thing where out of high school, it's like, okay, this is real life. What's up? You know, college. I went to a PCC and I was, I was lucky enough to not only meet other people who are like-minded in the want and passion to be a musician, but I met like professors like Bobby Bradford, who he's like an amazing, a legendary, not only jazz musician, but jazz professor. Mm -hmm. And some of his just wisdom was just so raw and real that like it resonates to this day, like mantras almost like, like I was remember like Bobby, Bobby, because his name is Bobby Bradford. I mean, the guy used to play with Ornette Coleman, you name him. He's like a legend in L.A. Bobby, I want to be a musician, man. I really want to fucking put all my shit into this, man. I really want to. Oh, yeah? Well, you better save your money. <laughs> he gave you the practical. Oh, like, you would just like that. Like, it would be like, instead of, like, maybe somebody being like, well, you should practice. You should do this. You you better save your money. You know, you better, like, like, I even remember when the when I, I finally made a uh, a little bit of coin in our first record deal. Mm -hmm. And I went up to Bobby and I'm like, you know, we did it. We got a little money. And it's like, he's like, don't be spending it on stupid shit. Like cars and jewelry and clothes, like invest in your art, invest in yourself. And I was just like, damn, Bobby, you're right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was that, oh, thankfully I had people like that, mentors and other colleagues that were just as driven. And it was just like, one of those things, it's like, I got a, uh, I immediately started joining bands, playing around town. It was very common, you know, like for me to show up to class, even though I'd been working all night, things like that. You what know? was the first band that you joined? Um, probably in high school, you know, like garage punk right. band. You know, we had a little good, you know, and it was re that was really, really cool and fun. And of course, you know, when you first have that first band, you know, immediately you have these like, you're already putting, you know, the cart before the horse, like, you know, you're thinking about like uh, the design of the tour shirt. The, you yeah. know, like, oh, we're already, you know, we've got, what kind of amps we're going to buy? What kind of this? He's like, dude, you haven't even played a gig yet, man. And I remember one of our first gigs was at the famous uh, Al's Bar in downtown LA, which was one of the, you know, one of the first old school punk bars. And uh, I was so young at the time that uh, I could only go inside and play and then I had to get out, you know? And, uh, that was great, and that was an amazing experience. Um, also taught me kind of the volatility of, like, living the band life. You know, I ended up getting kicked out because I wasn't putting enough attention to the band or something like that. But, you know, just the whole things yeah. of things that, you know, you go through. And then after college, I ended up joining this band called Yeska, which was, a, was an instrumental Latin ska group, which were, it was almost like we mixed ska lights with Tito Puente. And... Surprisingly enough, you know, because of the guys in the band, we ended up 
really racking up some pretty cool gigs in LA for being a baby band and making a little name for ourselves and touring and doing all this. And then around the same time, you know, cause as a horn player, it's like, what are you going to do? I play saxophone mostly. And it's like, you know, ska bands, salsa bands, you know, this bands. And um, when Ozo Motley first came up, I honestly thought it was just like going to be just like, Oh, this is like a cool side fun band, you know, really like this is just going to be cool. Cause it's, it's the band itself is just about, helping this community center and it's just about having fun. But most of the people in the band in Ozo Motley were either playing in other bands or doing other gigs. When we first started that band, it wasn't, you know, like a lot of us didn't think it was going to be the band that was going to, you know, push it. Right. And you guys were at that time when you started at the cultural and community center, you were known as if you have a cause and you need a band, you get Ozo Motley. It was kind of like that because it was like, Obviously, um, whatever causes and, and issues that we felt uh, resonated in the group were the ones we kind of helped out, you know, and at, during the mid-90s or whatever. Like, the whole Zapatista thing was very inspiring for at least musicians here in L.A., you know, uh, because Mexico has had, like, a history of all kinds of things going on with the country and especially in the government and when this whole thing happened, it was like, whoa, this is something new. This is exciting. And it sparked a lot of creativity, I think, amongst artists here and musicians here in L.A. So uh, our first, the first name of Ozo Motley was actually Todos Somos Marcos, which translates as we're all Marcos. We're all like this, the head of this guy, you know, kind of like the masked. You know how they always say because they mostly wear masks. Mm -hmm. But the whole premise is kind of like anybody could that could be anybody right you know you could be marcos you could be Mar anybody kind of like i'm spartacus right <laughs> that vibe <laughs> i am spartacus um so uh at that time you know it was very common for us to like oh there's like a, a group woman's home that needs you know funding they're doing it to a, a a benefit show we'll, we'll play it you know so we were kind of like the house band for if you needed money or needed a band, I should say, for your benefit show, we would do it, kind of. And we spent, like, a good – I mean, we still do those, but there was, like, a year when we first started that we did nothing but those, you know? And you did them mostly free. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it was free. It was just, like, we're going to go show up and play. Yeah. And at one point, you had up to 10, 15 members because, in the band? Yeah, because when we first started, it was, like, whoever showed up was in the band, you know? <laughs> That was You're here. Yeah, Get on yeah. stage. Hey, oh, yeah, we have three <laughs> guitars today. Great. Okay, let's all go. Let's all what, play. What What kind of chaos is that? Um, controlled? Yes. In the sense where it's, yeah, it's a huge band and it's chaotic. But at the same time, like, a lot of the music at that time was very kind of jam-based. So an idea would start and then people would get to solo over the idea. It was kind of like a jazz almost setup where it's like the head, solo head. But some of those songs and other thing was that like people brought whatever tradition or background they came from into mm -hmm. the mix. So there was a guy that was like kind of super into reggae and funk. There was a guy that was super into like work, the salsa shows and the merengue shows and punta and cumbia. I was more into obviously like ska and jazz and, and um, I was super into punk rock too for a minute and just different kinds of music from around the world. And so everybody kind of brought in their own flavor. So it was one of those things. It's like, what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? Well, I know this song, this cumbia song, but I don't, I've never heard that style. Well, just 
play your play whatever you know over this rhythm and see how it comes out. So the um, what as Ozo Motley became to be known for this really eclectic blend of of sounds from all around the world came about from a very organic kind of place where it was more like, what do you know? And let's try to mix these sounds together and see what comes out. Was there ever a point where the core of, you know, Ozo Motley sat down and said, well, this kind of lined up. I mean, we are standing for causes. We are agreeing on what we're going to represent and what we're going to give voice and music to. And we are giving a sound that represents that. Mm. Um, I know we did have a meeting once where it was finally one of those things where it was like, all right, who's in and who's out? <laughs> kind of like it was more gangy kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> who's in and who's out? Because it's crazy. Like you said, we had 15 members of all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicities. We even had a, we had a, um, it, it was, you know, it sucks because she was awesome, but we had this female conguera, but then she ended up leaving because her boyfriend was like this jealous dude. And it just, it, you know, it's just like the, the, the kind of a wash of all these musicians that kind of like we're in, we're out, we're in, we're out. So we finally had this meeting where it was like, who's in and who is out. And, you know, um, and at first, uh, some guys, even like main guys like Cut Chemist was like, well, I can't really completely put everything into this because I'm a DJ and I'm my own thing. Right. And I had the rap group because Jurassic 5 and us have a very linked kind of uh, uh, history because of two members that we shared. So um, even with all that kind of tumultuous kind of like who's in and who's out, we realized we had something special you know, as far as a band. And even though it was really hard for, <clears throat> I guess, the industry to kind of box us into what sound we were or what we're doing, you know, we, after the whole benefit thing in the shows, we ended up doing this run of different residencies in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So residencies for people who don't know is just basically you're, you, you get a night and every week you're there, you're there that night. And we did it at the this old club called the Opium Den and this club called the Dragonfly. And in both of those nights, we really started creating a buzz where, especially at the Opium Den, it would be like, it was very common for the, for the fire department to show up because there was way too many people. Mm -hmm. It's like it created this, and then there would be like all these Hollywood actors and actresses and types in the show like i'll never forget like i was just this snot-nosed kid like walking up to the gig and we're playing this gig and seeing bill maher with this like this beautiful model arguing with the door guy trying to get into the show like i want to get in again they're like no it's too bad and he's getting all mad i'm like whoa and then some hikes in there and this person and this person's in there i was just like whoa wow this is crazy and I think from that kind of weird buzz and having the, 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 the fire department show up every other week and just, it just created this thing where it's like, who is Ozo Motley? And that's when, of course, right. the like label started courting us, Capitol Records, this, this, you know, this label, that label. And we ended up signing at the time with Almo Sounds, which was, uh, Herb Albert and Jerry Moss's boutique label. After they sold AM Records, they started this Almo Sounds. And 
it was a very cool label, I have to admit. You know, even for that time, it was like very boutique, very eclectic. Like bands like Garbage were on there, Us, all kinds of. It was very spread out. If you if you see like what bands were on there, you know, and they actually gave us the support and kind of love to like make this happen. And gave you the the creativity to do that. They still didn't try to box you into a sound. I mean, you know. Um, I'm sure there was always like the A&R that was kind of like, hey, you guys should do this, you guys should do that. But we were so kind of, you know, especially as a young artist, you you want to present yourself right to the world. You know, as they say, you have your whole life to make your first record and then only a couple months to make your second. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like the the album, the first album was a reflection of our, basically our live set, even like, to the, the sequence of the song, how it flowed in a certain way. And um, yeah, it was, they gave us, they gave us like the, the, the backing and the kind of love that we needed to like create something like that and the money. Hello, you know, right. cause we're talking about the tail end of the golden era, right. you know, Jacqueline, it was like when labels were still giving you a nice chunk of money, like for us, it was like over, I think half a million dollars. It was like, here guys, you know, and back then it was like, hey, you can pay it off with CD sales or record sales, you know, and recoup what they call, right? Recoup. And um, there's nothing like that nowadays, you know, because obviously, you know, what is a record label now, but giving you this money, but they want all these things that would they would historically never get from right. an artist, whether it's your merch, whether it's your publishing, whether it's just you as an artist, you know, it's like, right it's 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 changed the whole paradigm of what music and how music is consumed and sold and everything is completely changed from when we started it has changed yeah and lot. what's interesting to me is that you said you know you were selling out fire departments coming you're generating this buzz who is ozo motley and when i announced that the Ambry podcast was sitting down with you you still have that buzz really on pe yes i hope so 25 years later. Yeah, but <laughs> on people that have not yet been, maybe their genre of music is predominantly in one area. Mm -hmm. And just to let you in on a, on a little bit, those who said, who is Ozo Motley? And I'm like, here, go listen to this out. Go start out this song. Because I've been immersed in y'all's music. Um, and 100% of them came back and said, why have I not been listening to this? Hmm. And it, what's interesting to me is I was watching a past interview of, of yours at the summit and you were talking about y'all's political stance and how they're, um, you know, you have a spectrum of some are a little bit more conservative, some are a bit more liberal, but y'all collectively as a group, the, the causes that you agree on are the ones that you stand for. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of artists start that at day one. Mm -hmm. You started this at day one. Mm -hmm. How did it not hinder you at all? There, there are careers oh, that are lost. It, it did. It did. How did it hinder? Oh, oh it hinders. It hinders. Um, whenever you make any kind of a stance, there's going to be someone that's like, ah, you know, unfollow now is the thing, right? right? Unfollow. Right. Fuck this, you. Where's the unlike? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, I, I like you guys, but you're backing the wrong, you know, like whatever it is, you're always going to offend somebody whenever you make a stand in any situation. And there's been plenty of times where 
you know, even in our youth where we were really kind of more militant about certain things, kind of like whether it was like, you know, a certain political prisoner or this or that, we'd want to make a stand or talk about it. And then remember one time, I think it was maybe Conan O'Brien, we wanted to put a big like banner about this. They're like, uh, 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 and we're like, no, we got to do it. We're not, we're not going to do it. You know, like you put that, you know, that pissing contest. Or there's been situations where I'm pretty sure where our, our political stances might have uh, not helped us get a gig or do this or that. But then that's the price you pay, I think, at the end of the day. Like, you know how they say, like, yeah, you know, we all have freedom of speech, but we're not, we don't have the freedom of the consequences of this speech. You know, whatever you say or whatever, however you back or whatever you do. So there's going to be some consequences, but at, you know, at, I mean, for me, it's like, hey, man, at least I sleep at night knowing that whatever I've backed or whatever I've supported is what resonates in my soul, you know? So, um, and through the eras, too, you got to think, it's like we started mid-90s, and from that point to this point, yeah, sure, there are some issues that are pretty much the same, and then there's been uh, thousands of other ones that have kind of come and gone and right. this and that, you know, whether it was the war or this or, you know, you name it, and um, so I, I, I feel like in certain ways, um, it's part of our DNA, like the whole kind of social po political thing. So in that way, I think whenever we do back something or whenever we do play for somebody, it comes off as sincere and not as a Johnny come lately kind of thing. I'm right. doing it for clout or I'm doing it to be popular or do no, we're doing this because we've always been that kind of band, right? you know, um, that's why I don't I feel that like not every artist has to be political and not every artist has to, you know, if it's not part of what you're about or what you're really sincerely into, then it's going to come off as fake and it might come off. It might be to you the detriment of the cause. So um, it's just been a, a it's not the only thing about Ozo Motley and which is right. kind of cool, too, because. You know, yeah, there'll be fans that are into us because of that aspect, but then there's fans that are into us just because they like to party, you right. know? And I'll take that too, you know? I'll take that too. It's totally but cool. But when you do when you do make a stand, there's a hindrance, but as you say, it's not to a detriment, and that's because it is coming across as authentic because that's how you started. Sure, sure. But then, you know, there's been moments where it's like, hey, you guys want to do this, you know, for a while we were kind of, I mean, this is, we're talking about a, a, a era a while ago where it was like, you know, tobacco company wants to do this gig and you're just like, dude, I don't want to do that, man. You know, mm -hmm. but hey, you just lost out on some money. Right. But, oh, you know, hey, and and back then the 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 label of what was considered sellout was way different from what is now, too, you know, and and, you know, keeping a reputation and keeping face and doing all these things at, at that time was way different than what it is now. So, I mean, you know, we might have lost out on some money. We might have lost out, lost out on some gigs here and there or just things that might have come down the pipe. But um, I think because of it, we've had this kind of, I guess, integrity about ourselves and about the band and about the, 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 the you know, brand of the band, you know? Well, and the brand of the band, but like the other side, the people that like to party and the, have a good time. Your music is fun it's um fun in a way that i feel like it's not too far out of reach does that make sense like mm -hmm. it's not i can actually identify with it i can i can feel it mm -hmm. and i can feel that y'all are having a good time and i'm sharing in that good time and 
is that part of the longevity? Is that what what really keeps it keeps it going even through right? Um, I I there that is definitely one of the factors of our longevity is that because I mean sure we kind of had regional hits, mm-hmm. but we never had that one song that like hey I paid for the pool back there with that song. We never had that. It was always about our live show and our reputation for delivering a great live show. And one of the greatest litmus tests for an artist is like, you know, we've traveled around the world. We've, we've visited so many countries. We've gone to places where no one knows who we are from Joe. It's like, who are these guys? But we play the show and everybody has a great time and stays and enjoys the music. So it gives me that kind of reassurance as an artist. It's like, okay, we're doing something right. They don't understand a word. They probably never heard these rhythms. They don't know a lick of Spanish. But whatever it is that we're playing and doing is making them move and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And that's something special. And I think that touches into something very primordial in our own evolution as human beings, that kind of unity of just like we're all grooving together, you know? It's the transactional energy mm-hmm. that you guys are giving. And it does. It, it helps. It helps people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, we can get all like hippie vibe, like, <laughs> you know, Santana vibe. You're manipulating molecules. You know, it's crazy. You're on the road with Santana, you know, and you'd be like, you know, you guys, we're not just playing music, Holmes. We're manipulating molecules. We're making them, you know, it's like, dude, I mean, in some ways you're right. You know, vibrations, you know, causing, you know, um, happiness in people. And it's so, in some ways, yes, I buy into that kind of hippie shit a little bit where it's like, yes, I am. We are creating an environment. We are creating sounds and we are creating a vibe and that is 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 creating joy. And that's so important nowadays. You know, I think especially to each other as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, creating that love, no matter what you, your background or your politics, it's just that hug of music that's just like, ah, I love it, you know? Well, when you said it was college, it was sink or swim, and you're moving towards this, and given everything that we've talked about, was there ever a moment you thought in your career at all that it could possibly not happen? All that the there time. Would be a sink? <laughs> all the time. Instance yeah. for you. Do you feel like today it could be gone tomorrow? Totally. And what do you do? You just keep at it. You just keep. That's the thing with artists and bands. Tomorrow, this afternoon, one guy could just be like, I mean, I doubt this is going to happen. Guys, this band shit, I'm fucking over it. You know, like, okay, it's done. You know, like, w- the running joke with us is that this is the longest relationship any of us has ever been in. You know, people always get a laugh at that. You know, it's like, oh, God, you know, these guys. But yes, in a lot of ways, it's not only it's a marriage, it's a brotherhood, it's a family. We're all in this together. And if any one of us, because the guys that are left here in this band now are the guys who started. We were all original bands, six guys right now. Mm -hmm. And that's from the era of 12 to 10. And now we're down to six. And it's like we're pretty streamlined in that sense. But the essence and the, the, you know, all the guys who wrote the songs and the vocals were all here. So there is that desperation as an artist, I think, where it's just like at any moment, this can, you know, it just end and, and then what, you know? And um, any artist can attest to this, that when it comes to job security, this isn't the business, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, in any moment, you know, things can happen or gigs can get lost. And then what do you do? You know, you got to get back up and you got to either find another gig or you got to hustle in something else and hustle and hustle and hustle. So it's kind of, it's almost like a memento mori kind of mentality. Like at any moment we have to, we have to work right now. We're, we're in it right now. We're doing it right now. So let's put in all our energy to keeping this ball moving, you know? Have you always been able to be okay in that type of insecure? We don't know what tomorrow is going to. Well, be. well, the the good thing is is that as a as a as a just a uh, individual musician, I don't know if you can ever shake that off. Like you know, because there's always that thing. It's like especially if you're a working musician just by yourself and trying to work in the city. It's like at any moment something could happen to the gig. You lose it. You win it. Whatever. The good thing with us is that as a band, we try to establish some stability amongst this, amongst ourselves even. And again, it's a testament to our longevity because the way we did things and the way we figured things out in the beginning is in a lot of ways what kept the band together. Um, Things like dividing the pie completely equally and even in songwriting, we realized very early on that most of the time, why do bands break up? It's because of the money and because of egos and because of, you know, like very common that like in a band of like four or five guys, that two guys are actually making all the money from songwriting and the other three guys are just there. Yeah, they're making money off the gigs. But when two guys all of a sudden are driving really, really nice cars and doing all these things. And, you know, there's that part in uh, the NWA movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, y'all are eating lobster for breakfast, but I'm still having fat burger. You know, it's like that inequality will start festering. And we realized very early on, even with songwriting, especially with so many guys in the band, if it's all about percentages and I got a percentage of this song, I got, we're all just going to be fighting in the studio and it's not going to be for the betterment of the music. Cause it's, everybody's going to want their little cut just to get in there. Right. You know? Right. So, um, you know, I wrote the horn line for that. I want my 5%. I want, you know, it turns into that. And we realized very early on that we, sh- we got to divide the songwriting. We got to divide the money. And then also, we had to protect ourselves as far as like we started baby funds. We started putting in money for our own health insurance. So like the band would be covered. The people who the band employees would be covered, you know, very few bands do that, you know, like give their employees health insurance, you know, very few bands are dividing the songwriting equally. Very few. All of these business decision is that your mentor is that Bobby in the background? No, no, Bobby. Bobby was more kind of the individual kind of like, are you ready for this life? You ready for this? The other stuff was just kind of more from our own upbringings of just like knowing how bands operate and the pitfalls of what happens, and um, it, it 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 that kind of like communal kind of like collective like we're all in this together sure any one of us can quit and do their own thing but the power of ozo motley as what it is is very special and unique so and you keep that and you protect and nothing i mean you guys have collaborated with multiple people you've 
open for some talent. You've, you've been in movies. You've done music for movies. You wrote uh, the score for, you know, Happy Feet to the video game. You composed that. And you're three-time Grammy award-winning. I mean, and it can still all go away tomorrow. You're every very, band. You're very uh, pragmatic in that thinking. Well, every band, every band, especially mm -hmm. in the music industry. I mean, dude, like, and here's the, I mean, the kind of the sad part of kind of the music industry is like nowadays, it's like there's no such thing as almost like artist development. Because, you know, remember back in the day, back in the day, there would be a guy that'd be like, I'm going to develop this guy. I see something, you know, I see a magic in this band. Maybe it won't be their first song album. Maybe it won't be their second, but maybe, you know, by the third album, we're getting, you know, like, you know, like Led Zeppelin, I think took maybe three or four songs until, I mean, three, four albums until they were like really popular. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, if you don't come out the gate hot, it's like, you're just the flavor of the month. See you later. You know, like the, the, the cycle of what is, in and out is so much faster now than ever before, you know? You know, they say here today, gone tomorrow, where the music business is here today, gone this afternoon, you know? like <laughs> That is not an easy industry to be in. No, it sucks because sure. it's dying. But, but how are you keeping it alive? It's dying. If you're in a dying industry and you're an active member and a successful member at that, what is there any? We were talking about this. It's about um, it's about thinking out the box. It's about um, adapting, con, con, um, adapting to how things are distributed. Because it's not, nowadays, obviously, it's like music is free. Mm -hmm. Music has become like uh, almost the promotional giveaway to get people to your shows. Hmm. Like, here's a song. Check it out. Come see a show. Please buy a T-shirt. And I was just talking to somebody the other day. It's almost become almost like menstrual era again, where it's like if you wanted music, you'd hire a band. You know, it wasn't like you had a record player. It's like now we've all become dependent back to playing live and doing shows. Right. True, there is money to be made in licensing. Like if you get a, a song in some Little Caesars commercial or whatever it is commercial, that could that could potentially make a lot of money for you. But... For example, like you brought up like video games. Yeah, we, we scored tons of video games, but guess what? That's work for hire. You know, you don't get any kind of like royalties or commissions or anything from if the if the game becomes wildly successful. You know, it's just like, here's your money. There you go. See and you that's later. It. That's it. You know, um, and so what does that mean? It's like creating and thinking out of the box. That's where like our whole project of Ozo kids kind of came out of where we were like, Hey, there's this whole other market. There's this whole other thing. Let's make, create an, a kid's album and have a kid's show. Right. Great. You know, now we will, sometimes we'll do like venues like the historic Fillmore in San Francisco, where we do a kid's show in the afternoon and then we do an adult show in the, and both of them will be sold out. So it's, it's just constantly trying to think out of the box. Cause yeah, it's like, how are you working in a dying industry? I don't know, man. I don't know. You got to think about it. You got to figure it out because the new kids, the kids are doing it. The kids are figuring out, you know, like, and in some ways, there's something very cool about somebody being able to just be on YouTube and without the, uh, the, without the need or, or help of the machine 
all of a sudden have millions of views and followers. Right. That's cool. That would have never happened when we were starting. Yeah. You know, so there is a give and take on that. And you try to try to figure it out. You have to like, because if you go by just the old school shit, you're going to die. Right. You're going to die. Because if you think, oh, I'm just going to create this record. Hopefully everyone will buy it and I'll tour on it for a couple months or a year or whatever. <laughs> I doubt a year nowadays, but like, you know, you're going to die, man. Because you're basically just throwing the shit out into the void. It's saturated. Well, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> so uplifting. <laughs> You're in the middle of a tour right now. Well, we're always touring. Yeah. We're always touring. But you, you, you have to be in another state tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. We're always on the road. And the thing is, is that even in that, like we used to tour like six months out of the year, eight months out of the year, living out of a bag, you know. Nowadays, you know, um, people have families, people have like roots. Mm -hmm. They don't want to just hit the road that hard, but we're always on the road. Even then we'll, we'll hit the road from Thursday to Monday. Boom. We'll come back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, reconnect, recharge the batteries, hit the road again, hit the road again. You know, where is that moment? Whether it be in touring, whether it be, um, a, a live show concert, local, um, or even in a studio, what, what is that moment for you where you look around or you get that? I love this. And I'm, I can't imagine being anywhere. Is it every time or is it a certain? I mean, being that I've done this for so long, I mean, you know, like my dad worked construction all his life. So even to this day, even though my dad knows it is work and this is something, it'll, he'll always have that mentality. It's like, hey, man, at least you're not fucking roofing in the summer. At least you're not fucking, do, you know, feeling, you know, doing hard labor. I'm like, dang, dad, you know, you're right. At the end of the day, I'm just having a blast. You know, I'm just blowing air in this piece of metal and dancing around and people are paying me for it. You know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's like this is one of the coolest jobs ever. So even though, sure, there is minimal, you know, security in it and uh whatever is but i'm still feeding myself just playing music and that's why when sometimes people say when did you consider yourself successful i was like that the time about 25 years ago or no maybe 23 22 years ago where i was just to my job laters and i joined the band and i and i like where I just depended on the band financially for better or for worse, whether we were making a lot of money that month or, or not that much money, that was success to me. Like I can, I can feed myself and I can work just doing music. So that's where it's still kind of cool. Like besides it all at the end of the day, like all the accolades and the, and the, 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 the prizes and the Grammys and all this, it's like, yo, holy shit. I, I still just play music and people are still showing up wanting to hear it. Fuck it. You know, it's rad. I, I can live with that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you're still, you're appealing to more and more people every day. I hope you, so. You do. You I hope are. So. Well, I've witnessed it in the last Well, I month. hope so. I mean, you know, to this day, there's still, like you said, there's people like, I've never heard your band. Like, where have you guys been? I don't know, man. We've been here though, but <laughs> thanks for joining. You know, like that's cool. And to this day, I totally appreciate fans who've been there since day one. 
to fans who just heard of us. Because to this day, I still get that where it's like, I've never heard of you, but you've just gained a fan. Thank you. Like, cool. Like, that's awesome. And it's interesting because just just recently, you know, um, with what we're talking about, and it's like, we're we're about to start a new record, and we're actually going to do, try this whole thing where the whole Kickstarter GoFundMe vibe, where we're going to l- let fans um, contribute to the process of recording a new record, you know, and uh, whether it's a dollar or whatever people want to contribute, because um, we're sick of like dealing with the labels. We're sick of like having to like, you know, basically placate and try to make happy people who I'm not sure if they really like us. I'm not sure they really like our music. They see us as maybe as a opportunity to make money for themselves, but I don't know if they really like the music or want to really back it. So um, we're actually going to try that whole thing this time around. We're going to see like, hey, f- you know, hey, fans, you guys want to donate and help us create this album that we actually going to own? Like, you know, because right. that's new. And y'all have been through <laughs> what? 10? Oh, my God. 10, so 11? Many. I don't even know labels? how many labels. Let's see. Started in Almo, right, which right? is a rad label, really cool. And then Almo, I guess the guys probably saw the, the – they're already, you know, being billionaires. They probably saw the, like, smoke signals in the distance, like, oh, this business is going to suck. We should sell the shit. <laughs> so, I don't know if that was it or they were just bored with the music industry. We're talking about, like, you know, uh, Jerry Moss and Herb Albert, like veterans mm-hmm. in the business. They sold the label. We ended up – and it was almost like when the house gets sold and we're the couch, we ended up in Interscope. Like they sold the label and we got sucked into that machine. We, it's funny because we released one record with Interscope and ended up winning our first Grammy, but it ended up being released on 9-11. So I was going to ask. That, because it was like, yeah, what? like, oh man, like that was it. That was it. And then Was the, that not a cognizant? deliberate decision by y'all to continue to to let that release? at that point we were just like the album's dead we got to keep touring and we and we ended up playing in new york like i want to say a week and a half two mm-hmm. weeks after 9 11 yeah to some criticism about it and then a lot of local love though people were coming up to me like thank you so much your music is medicine. We needed this, da 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 da, da you know. But it yeah. was very rough. It was very rough. I don't mean to interrupt, and you lived it. But, and I don't know if you follow the role of every other, you know, just don't go online and read the comments. But because so many other bands were canceling and they were, you know, were not doing that and they got quiet, you, I don't know if you realize how far and wide. Ozo Motley, you gave people hope. I mean, that was our whole thing. It's like, we got to continue. And the other thing was also, it's like, we got to step up in the sense of like, let's just not brazenly lash out violently to all these people who we think might be our enemies. You know, that was one of our things too. It's like, you know, because at, at that moment, it was already like the beginnings of all the you know, super xenophonic as, as um, like racist attacks mm-hmm. towards just 
anybody who remotely looked Arab mm -hmm. or, you know, even if they weren't nothing, you know, like it happened, you know, Sikhs getting assaulted just because they're wearing a turban. It has nothing to do with uh, other things, you know, and that was already starting and we already seeing that and we're like, you, this is not the way uh, we should be going about it as a society. Like, you know, obviously everybody was, um, there was a very distinct, um, climate of vengeance, I think mm -hmm. that was going on. You know, of course, when something like that happens, it's immediately like, who did this? We're going to get them. And um, we chose that, like, that's, you know, whoever did it, obviously, whatever happened, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, no. but but whatever we felt uh, it, it important to continue and to continue playing music and just to continue being on the road. And um, for the amount of shit that we caught for it, it was nothing compared to the amount of love yeah. that we got from New Yorkers themselves and from people who felt like it was necessary, you know? I, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if it would have worked necessarily for, for anyone else. The simple fact that you guys were organically for people. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you fall on. Uh, y'all are y'all are announcing to the world through music, A, you're kind of neutralizing and allowing a different perspective to take hold because of the energy that you give through your music. Um you want to listen to it, but you you're for people. You're for people, you're for equality, you're for rights. And I just don't know had uh, any other Bands been put in that position that you were in. I don't know. I don't know how it would have. I, I, I don't know how it worked out. Maybe there were other. I'm sure there were maybe some other bands that continued touring too. I'm yeah. not sure, but the music industry in general just shut down after 9/11, mm -hmm. and then after. Oh, so go back. Let's see, Interscope. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we're, we're only on the second label. And then we <laughs> were on Fantasy uh, Concord. Concord, mm -hmm. great label too. Um, uh, we were there. We we probably released, I think, two or three records with them. And then we ended up in Downtown Records, which is like this hipster label from New York. Released one record with them. Cleopatra. I'm probably missing another label in there. I'm sorry. But, yeah, we've been on five or six different labels through the years, you know. And it's funny because the experience of how how from the beginning – to this point, it's just funny how dealing with the labels has changed through the years, you know? Right. Yeah. And you you guys getting off that merry-go-round and doing your own. Your yeah. Career. Because, I mean, sure, um, we could totally do it again the same way. Like, let's just create the album, shop it to the labels, see who's interested, see who's down, da da da, da you know? But I guess, you know, with this attempt, it's just something new. And we'll just see if 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 fans and if people want to contribute and um, be a part of the process, then it almost will feel almost like, for me at least, it's like, hey, man, there's actually fans that are giving their hard-earned money to help us create art. It's going to give me kind of this motivation. Like, I want to do my best I can because they're right. And I've always treated fans like my bosses almost because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be doing this at all. You know, that's why it's imperative to me. Like, I've always been like super nice to people 
who are Ozo Motley fans, and regardless of circumstances, usually it's, you know, it takes a lot for, for me to get kind of pissed off at somebody, but even then, I'm like, you know, hey, come here, take a picture. You know, like I'm down. Like at the at the end of the day, they're 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 supporting us. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you also have you. You know who you are, and on outside of the music, you you've been training jujitsu for how long? Um, it's since 2001. Since 2001, and you're a black belt. Yeah. So from 2001 to 2020. When did you get your black belt? Uh, 16 years. It it took me 16 years. So it's pretty long, you know. It's a long journey to black belt and jujitsu. And also the other thing is, too, is like being that I was a touring musician and constantly, you know, like I didn't have the luxury to be able to go to the the academy all the time and and grind it out. But at the same time, you know, people who are into jujitsu, and are and start training and get serious at a certain point you just you're just in it for life it's a lifestyle you're just going to be like i'm just going to train no matter what level i get to whatever belt i get to Mm -hmm. this is cool i love this this is going to be cool you know it's a big part of your life because you've started a dojo well we started like it's kind of like a social club it's you know it's um if anything it's kind of like a a place for people from different schools who are friends to come together and basically train together and kind of share different things with each other. And then we go for tacos after and just, it's kind of like a social thing more than it is like a formal dojo or, well, or like, it's kind it's of like a, a jujitsu social club almost, yeah, you know, it's evident in the name. You call it the ghetto, dojo. ghetto dojo yeah, because so it why? started very ghetto-y. Why? We had shitty mats. That's why it came from ghetto. <laughs> Because we had very shitty mats and very just shitty resources, and then it started from that, and 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 then it kind of grew, and people, you know, would you know, we bought nicer mats and this and this and that. But just the energy of it is very kind of like, let's do it with what we got. That kind right. of mentality, which is very common in the ghetto, right? You know, mm-hmm. anybody who grew up with no money, it's like, oh, you know, um, there's this term in in, in Mexico, rascuache. Like kind of like you make do with what you got, even if it might be not that, you know, w- you know, good quality. But you got to just whatever it is, you jimmy it, you do it, you do it, whatever you got and make it happen. And that's the good That's kind of we have <laughs> th- thought about it, you know. I mean, and we have fun, you know. Um, and uh, sometimes there'd be it's funny because we've and then the, one of the cooler things that we uh, we established in it without even wanting to. Maybe it's out of just laziness. Is that um, we all wear white belts at the when we roll there, and and you know even people who've come to train there and hang out with us. Like one time we had Chris Hodder, mm-hmm. who is like he's like one of the twelve original non Brazilians to get their black belt. So at this point, what, what is Chris Hodder like a? 12th degree, I don't know, 9A5, I don't know what it is. He's just like a, he's up there, man. And he showed up and I told him, you know, hey, man, you know, I'm not going to, obviously, you know, I'm like, you know, we all wear white belts here, man. But, you know, obviously, if you don't want to, it's cool, man. I mean, duh, you know, it's your your, your black belt legend. Oh, really? That's cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> give me a white belt. You know, they dig that whole mentality of we're all of a sudden we're all white belts, you know. We're all just at you know the the you know the 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 very first step in this thing you know but 
it, it, it gives it kind of a cool just energy. Um, are you aware, just from my observation, from sitting with you and knowing you for a total of an hour and a half? Right. Are you, am I clear in the observation and are you aware that you're, it's a little bit deeper than humility. You, to have everyone, regardless of, of how far they've come or wherever they stand in life, to, to go back to basics, to come back. And the way you were explaining how you decided the, to divide percentages and run the, the, you know, the business side of the band, you you go back to basics. You're, you don't overcomplicate things. Is that a fair statement? I think so. Maybe. I mean, I think we all try to complicate things. It's I natural. Think, I think a lot of people. I think try it's to really very, it's very natural it to sport. <laughs> it's very natural to complicate things and you yeah. start thinking about things and whatever, but then, um, it's an effort to try to concentrate and meditate on trying to simplify the things. Yeah. You know, is that why you're going to stay successful? Am I successful? Yeah. Because I quit my job and I just play saxophone. <laughs> I'm already success, man. <laughs> but, um, stay successful. Um, stay happy. Is that your definition of success? Um. Yeah, in some ways, yes. So you'll stay successful. If you well, stay yeah, happy. stay happy as far as just like in the analysis of reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you start really thinking about it and you really start putting things together. I don't know if it's as older you get or whatever's, but, you know, there's plenty of philosophies. And, you know, because I was for a hot second philosophy slash religious um, studies major. Mm-hmm. And in, in that in that pursuit, there was one thing that definitely kind of resonated in me is kind of just seeing all these different schools of thought, religions, you name it, philosophies, ideologies, and just seeing what resonated in me, you know, in certain things and just being like, oh, wow, you know, Buddhism, that's really cool. I really, f- I'm feeling that. Stoicism, oh, wow, these Greeks had something going on here, you know? Like, I just recently gone back to Stoicism a lot lately. And, um, or existentialism, Nietzsche, you name it, you know, just all these different forms of thinking and philosophies, and then all of a sudden just kind of trying to come up with something that works for you, that resonates for you. And in a lot of ways, it, you know, um, when I start thinking about life and when I start thinking about the... how fragile it is and how how sometimes just absurd it is you know i have to just sit down and just be like you know what i don't have it so bad i really should appreciate everything i have at this moment right now drinking this coffee talking to you being around cool people and being healthy at least to a certain amount right you know and that that kind of stuff resonates with me just like the moment right now it's like oh man like i really just got to be happy Mm-hmm. You know, amor fati, like just whatever it is that life puts in front of you, you just got to just dig in and just really be like, uh, embrace it. And, and sure, it's sometimes very, very, very hard to embrace it, especially when terrible things happen, tragic things happen, immoral things happen. But um, it's, it's definitely like one of those things that like, um, I woke up today and I had a nice warm shower and a nice coffee and there's all these things that are like really making, you know, it's just like, I got to just count my blessings, man. Constantly, right. constantly, constantly. 
I know plenty of musicians that were amazing Juilliard level people that are not doing their art anymore. You know, like, what is it about me that survived this shit? What is it about me that, that like is continuing to be in this band? You know, I know plenty of people who are way better than me on saxophone. But they don't got a gig. You know, what is it? You know, I don't know. But it sure it could be my personality or the way I see life or just being cool with somebody else or just being lucky. You know, whatever it is, I just got to count my blessings about everything, you know. Maybe a recipe of all of those things. Maybe. But you do seem very much in alignment. Uh, one of the one of the focuses of the podcast is who we align, who we are as people mm -hmm. every day and what we do out in the world and what that looks like. And I have to say, by far, you're very much in alignment. I picture who you are, whether we're sitting in a living room in a very small house in Long Beach or you could you could be in a packed out room and you would be the exact same person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean i try to think about it like that you know um even on how i treat people like you know mm -hmm. i've met i've encountered people who are movers and shakers in society like leaders of of of, of you know countries <laughs> you know um but at the same time it's like I want to give that guy the same amount of respect that I would give like a homeless person. Mm -hmm. Like, hello, how you doing? Respect, you know, like you're alive. I'm alive. We're here together at this moment, you know, um, that, you know, resonates with me. I, I would think that that's possibly why, you know, Ozo Motley was actually called by a state department to, to, bring music back to the political field, but mm. not just that and not to get on right, right, talking right. about politics, but you guys have been allowed into countries where no one's been allowed. Yeah. And it was interesting because at the beginning of that whole gig, we were like, cause this is tail end of Bush administration. Yeah. We we're like, I don't know if mm. these guys are really, do they know who they're asking to represent? <laughs> and then we realized that the state department and government in general it's not this big monolithic thing as far as everybody's on the same page with their ideas and their thoughts of how things should go. It's like, we've met so many different people in the state department that were like, loved what was going on, hated what was going on, or just in the middle, or just, it, it, it was, it, it was very enlightening to see not only when we worked with the state department, but even when we did this, I did a run where I was like a lobbyist for a day and just to see how government worked in that that level i was like damn wow so enlightening and um when they first asked us i was like i don't know but then we had a lot of internal debate amongst ourselves of, should we do this you know because um there was some guys that were like we don't want to be used almost kind of like puppets for uh certain things that we might not be agreeing on and then there was other guys just like, let's take this opportunity to create our own story and do our own thing, kind of like connect with people all around the world. Because the same way we have stereotypes of people from around the world, they have stereotypes about us. Mm -hmm. So like when we were going into Kathmandu, Nepal, and they're talking about, oh, there's an American band showing up and we show up, they're like, this is the American band. You know, like <laughs> they're thinking the Beach Boys are going to show up or something. <laughs> and here we are. But at the same time, you know, we played for 10,000 people there and 
and it went off great, you know, and, and so, yeah, we went to places like Myanmar where there was no bands showing up. The no bands were going there. We went to places like Madagascar, um, mm-hmm. Middle East, Jordan, um, Tunisia, Egypt, Indonesia. Um, yeah, pretty intense places. Very intense. Yeah, places yeah. On your on and your played lesson. music for them, and they most for the most part, people loved it. You know, one interesting one interesting um, um, story that kind of came out where we were like, maybe they're not going to love it. Was um, we were in Mongolia. And this is the era of MySpace, you know? So we had said on this MySpace, Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. And for whatever reason on in, in the MySpace, when we put Ulaanbaatar, it said the default on the computer, it, said, it made it say China. This proceeded to r- rapidly anger locals because they already have like a fucked up relationship with with the Chinese government. There's like a real crazy historic thing going on to the point where people are like, don't give, if you're going to give a gift to somebody, make sure it doesn't say made in China. I was like, oh shit, this is serious. So we were getting letters of people like you idiots. This is not China. This is Mongolia. If you guys play, we're going to fuck you up and this throw shit at you. And you, you know, like, it was like, oh no, of course we know we're in Mongolia. <laughs> Duh. We had to like write this whole thing apologizing and then and it's interesting because the day that we come dude there was like 15 20 000 people in this main square and if there was any time where the shit might hit the fan it was going to be there like people just rioting we started the show with jamming with local mongolian musicians throat singers you mm-hmm. name it and immediately it created this like like oh shit like these guys are you know like collaborating with the local, you know, because that was always been our thing. It's like, we got to just, wherever we go, let's meet musicians and collaborate with them, you know, and learn something of theirs. And 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 it, and then the show after that went off without a hitch. It was an amazing show, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. Listening to you talk, well, I do know, but listening to you talk, I'm glad that um, Ozo Motley is not one of those fast burners. Do you know what I mean? I'm glad that you guys are just steady and that you are who you specifically, specifically are. Mm, Um, mm. And then the band as a whole, who they are, because I think that the world needs you. I think that people need your, your energy. I think people need to understand what that collaboration looks like. And for, um, for y'all to be allowed into places where most musicians are not allowed into and to be able to be put in situations. And at the same, on the other side of that coin, you're collaborating with, you're doing the openers, the things, the Grammy wins and all of those things that I'm sure a lot of your interviews center around. So if I've offended you by not centering around those, I no, apologize. I mean, it's your podcast. But, you could ask me whatever uh, you want. But I really, <laughs> I think that the aspect the, the the aspect of Ozo Montley and you, you know, researching you and, and looking back on the interviews that you've done and the articles that you've done, the this is what the world needs. It needs the collaboration and it needs the hope and it needs the inspiration and an example of what that looks like even when shit can hit the fan, even when shit can go away tomorrow. 
-hmm. this is how you're happy every day. This is how you align every day. And you don't, you don't alienate because you are going to have haters. Always. I have a friend that always says hate keeps me warm and you strike me as one of those people. Um, I don't know if it keeps <laughs> me warm because at the end like of the it's, day, it's, nobody wants really to be you. hated, you know, yeah. like, ah, you know, and, and, and like the psychology of that is, is, you know, for example, is like this, like there, we play plenty of shows where there'll be that one guy that's like this. Wow. Fucking stink. Fuck you. My psychology is like, all of a sudden, I'm focusing on this individual. There's thousands of people <laughs> having a good time. They're all having a rad, amazing, lit time. But no, here's my brain going to that person saying, fuck you to me. And all of a sudden, I give them my energy. And it's so fucked up. I don't know if that's part of human nature or my personal nature. But it's funny. And then it's funny because my bass player and me will look at each other and all of a sudden we both start focusing in on this person and we make it a thing to like either try to annoy that person even more or try to like get them over the hurdle. The last time we had that was this woman was right in front of us in uh, Bend, Oregon. And she looked like she was having the worst time and giving us this fucking and, and here I am. Here I go again, focusing my energy on her. And then we were just like getting in her face, playing, and then she was just kind of like this. And people around her were even kind of like, what's wrong with you, lady? We ended up getting kids on stage and then having them jam, because that's one of the things we do. Right. We get people to jam with us, but sometimes we get kids on stage. All of a sudden, this lady's attitude completely changed, and she completely flipped, and she was just like, you guys are awesome. And then here's the funny part. Me, me and the bass player were like, yeah, man, I was really digging when she was hating on us. And then when she flipped into liking us, I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> and it took the fun out of it. <laughs> yeah. Like fucking annoying this lady. <laughs> like, why, why, why? But no, you know, and that's the thing, you know. And then again, you know, they say as musicians, you, you're not at somebody or anybody until you've gotten booed once. Mm. And that's true. Everybody's gotten booed. Prince opening up for Rolling Stones, booed. You know, like you just name it, you know, and sure enough, we've been booed before. We've been, you know, it's, it's been crazy. So you gotta, you gotta be able to take it. Yeah. Yeah. So for those, <laughs> for those that, um, that are listening that whether they're music industry, whether it's creative, but regardless, they're looking for their own success. They're looking for their own alignment. Is there any, any words, any advice for, People, well, trying to break into the music industry or just to feel aligned? Just to feel aligned. Trying to break into life. Break trying into to life. Get out of that box. Oh my God. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. You're, you're, <laughs> Sink or swim, maybe? No, no, no. That's like kind of like, those, like, you know, you have to, I guess, find the liberation in yourself, you know, and just kind of like how you. Because that's 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 such a heavy question. It's like, how do you align yourself with life? Am I aligned with life? I don't know. I know that I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to be like, sure, I've made shitty decisions in the past. And I try to fix them and try to, like, get better constantly or try, you know. But then there's still aspects of myself that I see as detrimental sometimes, you know, whether it's that little lazy aspect or that, you know, um, 
you know, just whatever it is, you know, whether it's our habits or you name it, you know, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could tell somebody how I'm going to tell you <laughs> person. I don't know who I've never met, who I don't know your, your life history at all, how to align yourself. It, it almost feels like, 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 you know, self-help gurus. Like I got the answers for you. Mm-hmm. You know, or when people say, this right here is going to cure everything. Well, if it cures everything, it's going to cure nothing too, man. You know, like, it's like, it just feels like, a, 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 who am I to tell you how to align yourself? I mean, if anything, I could just say, you know, making the effort. Oh, fuck, I don't want to sound corny, you know, because part of me just is like, just make an effort, have compassion, treat people you love, hug them, tell people you love you know, that you haven't spoken to in a long time, reach out to people, you know, but at the same time, I don't know your, 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 your situation and the relationships in your life. Maybe you don't want to reach out to people. Maybe you don't want, maybe <laughs> aligning, want maybe you don't want to hug them because they've been assholes to you your whole life. And maybe aligning yourself is you separating from them, you know? So um, it's hard for me to answer that question. It's like, how do you align yourself? You know, cause I could give you a list of books that I've read that helped me, but I don't know if it's going to help you, you know, I don't know how that knowledge or that, or that um, influence is going to affect your life. It's kind of hard. I don't know. Well, honesty is definitely a cornerstone. For sure. I, you know, honesty to yourself, honesty to your own, um, your own pluses and minuses, you know, like your own deficiencies and your, what you're good at, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, no, I just I think that your honesty is very refreshing. I mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. Well, am I even being honest to myself here? You know, <laughs> I don't know. You're going to that you're going to have to. Tell you know, me. that's the thing. You know, it's it's it's, it, you know, because we do live in a society where it's like everybody has, you know, the advice for you, how you mm-hmm. got to fix yourself, you know. And most of the time it is more self-reflection, more kind of like, what am I doing here? You know, why, why am I the way I am? And what I guess separates us from just overall the rest of the animal kingdom, you know, like that self-analysis, that kind of like trying to step out of yourself, your own head and trying to kind of check off all the boxes of what it means to be a righteous human being or a, 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 a good person. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Well, thank you. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time out today um, before you have to fly out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's tomorrow. It's all good. So what are your tour dates for here in California? Well, for uh, all the beautiful people out there, also the We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We always have our days on there where we're playing. Um, like I said, we're going to be recording a new record. We're going to be actually going to the studio this March. We're going to be recording at Sonic Ranch in El Paso. Really nice studio. Um, and we're always touring. We're going to be in Hawaii in March, too. And it's constantly going. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. For joining. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you.
Day and Brie podcast. Thanks to its monthly supporters. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. A big shout out to our co-producers, Jen B and Twala M. Thank you guys so much. Now, go download some Mozo Motley. Rock out, enjoy, and get tickets to their upcoming show. They're on tour. Have a good one. Thanks so much. Go live your best life. Bye.